right in front of him. Crowd are looking, throws it alley. Oh! Welcome into the Just Basketball Show for Friday, May 26. I'm Chris Manning. That is Brendan Clean. We, by the way, are a podcast that does find the Denver Nuggets to be compelling. I just want to say that for the record, that we do, in fact, think the Denver Nuggets are compelling and are awesome. We will talk about them a lot more when the finals actually begin. I want to remind you to subscribe and give us a five-star rating and review on your podcast platform of choice, be it Spotify, Apple, whatever. And remember to subscribe and hit that notification bell on our YouTube channel. I want to thank Dylan Heiser and Jake Stevens for production. All right, big show today. Heat Celtics game five. That's apparently a series now. The betting lines have shifted to where Boston now has better title odds than Miami, which is very funny. Carmelo Anthony has officially retired the same day this came out. The Nuggets made the finals. Just kind of an interesting, like, weird bit of universal chemistry there. We're going to talk about LeBron, and we're going to talk about Michael Winger, who is now in charge of all things Washington basketball, specifically for this podcast. We're going to talk about the Wizards. The Mystics, as it turns out, who we technically, I think, will oversee as, like, the head of monumental basketball or, like, a well-run organization with that, like, is very competitive. The Wizards uh, have not been that. In some time. But Brennan, let's start with Heat Celtics game five. This is now a 3-2 series. Boston, as you pointed out, in our doc, had a half-court half offensive rating of 118.5. They're making threes. They're moving the ball well. Tatum and Brown both well. Brown playing well on offense for the first time in the series, I think, was really a big deal. They, he has not looked... He's, he, I saw in a Michael Penis piece at the ringer today that... He was like 9.9% below like the, the expected field goal percentage of an average player in the series. He's just been bad. He was not that in this game. Boston's really back in it. And I, I game six almost feels like game six and a half. It almost feels like game six is like the first take in a game seven based on the fact that if Boston pulls that off, we're going back to Boston for, for game seven. And Lord knows what's going to happen there. It was just a game you wanted to kind of see from the Celtics, right? Like, I, I think game four to me just sort of felt like, hey, we're we're not going to roll over. That one was expected. Gentlemen sweep. There's a name for it for a reason. I feel like the the difference with this one was just they played like the dominant team. I mean, really, that that game four was just the third quarter. In this game, they kind of did the third quarter all night and. Yeah, the 118 half-court offensive rating was really from the competitive part of the game. I think they finished at like 111 either way. Both were off the charts. They were getting into the paint. The balance was a lot better. You have four guys in double figures from shot attempt standpoint and none in the 20s. You had Brown and Tatum only taking 11 threes combined versus, you know, sometimes they're, I mean, as high as in the 20s just between the two of them on, on some of their either really hot nights or nights where they're just settling for bad shots. So all those things I think are good. Uh, I don't know about winning a game six on the road to make this an even more interesting series. I feel like they may miss Malcolm Brogdon if, if he has to miss any more time, but you could say the same thing for Miami. This is now a, a series very dependent on injuries as well on top of everything else. Yeah, look, I, the, the, the Heat pulled the plug really like by the fourth. This game, I, I mean, really wasn't ever exactly competitive. I think 
one of the things that just has to be different for Miami in a very simple way, Brendan, is that Jimmy Butler has to be more like Jimmy Butler in all caps that we saw for much of those playoffs. I don't know if he's fatigued. I don't know if like the Celtics, I think to the credit, to the credit, the Celtics defense, they've been awesome at sticking big bodies in front of him and not making his drives easy. They've not been letting him just kind of dictate the pace and dictate the physicality of, of the game anymore, which is, like a hard thing to do, but like they have the personnel to do it if they're like willing to do it and they have been. But Butler in this game, 34 minutes, five of 10 from the field, only took six free throws, 0-2 from three, 14 points, five assists, two steals, five boards, two turnovers. Butler's going to need like a 30 and 10 game or a 30 and eight game or a 35 and eight game with a ton of free throws. If Boston, if, if the Heat are going to win game six, like he has to get, I think, to that kind of Jimmy Butler. I thought we would like, get it tonight. I did like, too, I based sort of on what he said. What yeah. he said after the last game, I was like, Jimmy's going to kind of do the damn thing. And like yeah. maybe just like the, the flow of the game got away from them. Maybe they, like, whatever it is. But I think Boston yeah, made I mean, seven threes in the first quarter. So it's sort of like you yeah. might have gotten up in the morning feeling like this was yours, but there's only so much you're going to do. Yeah. Like maybe you read the room and you're going back home and, and maybe you get Martin back and all that stuff. But it, also interesting, Brendan, he was the only Heat starter to take a free throw. Yeah. Weird. Like just a weird. This, this series has been. Game. So it was a fast paced game. Yeah. I mean, it was like I mentioned about Boston's half court offensive rating. That was kind of just like bringing the hammer down when it did slow down. But both teams uh, had a, a transition frequency that was um, pretty high in the, in the competitive part of the game. And then I believe the Heat had something crazy in terms of points off of turnovers. They had 27 of their 97 were points off turnovers, even though the, the numbers show they barely ran. So it was like either they were getting these turnovers and not actually turning it into fast break buckets and actually slowing things down after the turnovers, or they were just doing it very selectively and whatever. But yeah, not a lot of uh, half court effectiveness for Miami by any means. And, but I mean, look, Boston didn't even get that many free throws either. So um very weird, but, but this, they, is, this is how Boston wins, though, right? This yeah. is the Adam Sandler and Uncut Gems. Like, if they can, uh, if they can lock you down and turn you over, then and make threes, like most ninety nine out of hundred times, that's a win for the Celtics. Yeah, and look, Boston. Excuse me, Miami needs the free throw and they need the grimy. They need to be in the muck. The Celtics like aren't a team that like thrives in the muck. They are not a team that when you get them in the sludge and you get them in, in, in the really, really slow pace, grinded out kind of games, they don't always succeed very well. They just don't. That is not like a, a, a area where like we've seen the best of Jason Tatum or the best of Jalen Brown or, or the best of Marcus smart. Unless right? it's like, uh, Joel Embiid on an Island trying to contest his pull up threes. In that case, slowing it down seemed to work for them. Yes. But like, that's like this very specific <laughs> circumstance yeah. and like the yeah. heat are not going to the, the heat are not going to let that kind of stuff happen to them a little bit. Um, Brendan, here, here's where I want to go with this before we, we move on. Cause it like, we're going to get game six and, and that's, that's everything that, that is that game will tell us kind of, I think where we're going with this. One of the games I'm most excited for in the playoffs, the whole entire thing, all of a sudden I had thought this was over and now I'm like, okay, I'm circling Saturday. That's good. That's like my night. Yeah, that, that will be my night as well. Uh, for you. Well, I, let me ask you this as a follow up to that. 
what was the what are the other games that really like got you excited like what are like is there a couple other games that come to mind is like okay like i gotta make sure like i am locked in for this game like the first one that comes to mind for me is king's warriors game seven yeah i was just like inject this into into my into my skull you know like i'm, I'm ready to go yeah um lakers warriors have... game one sure yeah, I was going to say Suns Nuggets game five. That was a 2-2 series coming back to to uh, to Denver. And we didn't know, you know, the stakes of that series were pretty high. I think um, Boston Philly game six, similar, right? Boston was against the ropes and mm-hmm. ended up pulling that one out. Um, yeah, those are the ones that come to mind. I feel like uh, I liked the first Knicks home game, but that's not on the level of these. But like mo- another game, a home game for MSG, that was cool. All those have been cool. But no, I mean this one, you know, for the trip to the fi- with the trip to the finals at stake, it's it's a no brainer. Yeah, and the historical like things it could set up and and all that stuff. Um, so would you favor Boston now to like I like I its no. history is like again like okay I just it just is just like. The last six quarters they've played might be the best basketball they've played the entire playoffs. Like, that's the weirdest part about this. What I'll say from an offseason standpoint, and like a, a lot of people keyed into that team have basically said as much, is this at least shows they don't all hate each other and want it all to be over. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, they could have rolled over, and I think it would have been pretty obvious that, like, things are going to need to change. And that didn't happen. Um, Let's talk about the heat role players. You had this question for us, yeah, which is basically Gabe Vincent, who missed tonight's game, who's been awesome. Gabe Vincent had zero points in the uh, Bulls play-in game. Did you know that? I heard that yeah. stat this week. Insane. I, I have got Brendan. The amount of times that I have gone back and just like looked back at that box score, not even looking at highlights. I just like pull up the basketball reference, pull basketball reference, and I go to the box score of heat bulls from the play-in and I just kind of look at it and I read the play-by-play and I just am like confounded. I'm the people who brought you watching this game. Six is going to be our Saturday comes. I open that box score a lot. Do you realize how often I do it? Um, So that that's us. That's why we host a, a podcast about this stuff. But so Gabe Vincent who scored zero points and then had like 30 in a game in this series and Max Struess are both free agents this summer. Mm-hmm. And I think the league is probably looking at all of this stuff and wondering, understandably and reasonably, well, can we get those guys? And how much should we pay them? And what will they do if they come here? And I texted you this a while ago. I, I think we were in, in close alignment. Like, Struce is probably somewhere in the mid-level exception, the full mid-level range, which is somewhere in the neighborhood of 11-12, I believe. and then. Vincent, maybe somewhere in the eight to 10 range. But honestly, I think both could end up higher depending on how much of a bidding war there is for this stuff. I made a list of 11 names grouped into three different categories for this, Chris. Mm -hmm. I have post LeBron era, Miami Heat standouts who sucked with their next team. Spoiler alert, that's the longest list. Is Tyler, is Tyler Johnson the capital, the captain of that team? He's the first name on it, so we'll okay, say yes, he's cool. the captain. I mean, we he got the bag, so good for him. Several of them did. Uh, we have yeah. guys who were better with Miami than other teams, so basically that's the 
They might not have started their career with Miami, but we all would agree their best years were with Miami. There's four names on that list. And honestly, that one you could pull, uh, stretch out a little bit. I just didn't. Uh, and then the long, the shortest list, the last list has one name on it. And it is players who broke out in Miami, but continued to excel elsewhere. A grand total of one person since LeBron left 10 years ago, I was able to find who I think would count this way. So can I'll start with the, the guys who I said sucked with their next team. And you can interrupt me as you want to reminisce about these names. This is very much a remember a guy list. Um, it's it's a, a classic dude just hang out thing. It's just remember some guys, you know, it's exactly. great stuff. Let's do it. Exactly. And they all wore Miami Heat jerseys. All right. So you said Tyler Johnson, who, yes, got uh, Pablo Torre to write a feature on him for basically getting paid. Just the idea that this crazy guy got money was was worth a story once upon a time. Hassan, Hassan Whiteside also got paid. <laughs> Josh Richardson, who was the... Uh, Salary that went back in the Jimmy Butler trade that oh, somehow man. Mickey Harrison and Pat Riley suckered the Philadelphia 76ers front office. I believe that was when Brett Brown was the GM of the team into taking back. We have Justice Winslow, draft pick once upon a time, went through some stuff mentally, so you know we don't know what happened there, but he was never the same player after, after he left. Rodney Magruder, Kendrick Nunn. So those are all players who we, when they left Miami, we were like, wow, that guy's going places. And then within like 24 months, it was like, no, they are not. They're absolutely not going anywhere. I have guys who were better than with Miami than their other teams. This one is Goran Dragic, James Johnson, Kelly Olenek, Derek Jones Jr. I think you could even include like Jay Crowder potentially if you wanted to. You could include PJ Tucker, depending on how you feel about that. Uh, Myers Leonard is a name on there that you probably could could include. Um, who do you think is the player I have on the list who broke out in Miami but actually continued to look promising elsewhere? Do you know who I'm talking about off the top of your head in the past 10 years? No, honestly. My brain has been like trying to think about this since you said that. I'm trying to like think it would qualify. And then when you say it, it's probably going to make me annoyed that like I missed so it. So he was traded for Kyle Lowry. Does that help? I don't think people think about this player very much, but I, I like him. So I, it's Precious Achua. Drafted by the oh, Miami I, Heat, traded for Kyle Lowry. He still fouls way too much and isn't able to get like a consistent spot in the rotation. So it's not like he turned into an all-star after he left there. But I think we still all feel like Precious is an interesting prospect. Sure, okay. So, Brendan, here's my working theory on the Heat stuff as I, we think about Struess and these guys. I think there's something in like the way they play and how the organization works that makes it like hard for these guys to necessarily like, go elsewhere. Like I'm watching like how Max, like let's say schematically, let's watch like Max Struess comes off of screens and it's dribble handoffs and it's pin downs and it's all this action and movement that is designed to make his life easier. You plop him into other situations, he might just be like standing there and there's not nearly as much action. Is he going to be as effective and is like pushed like? Is he going to be as set up to succeed in a setting where he just stands around a little bit more? I would argue, you know, I think Miami, one of the best things about what Miami does is the fact that they are constantly putting in, there's constant action, there's constant movement, there's constant next attacks being set up. It is something that I, it, it is like, it is hard and it takes discipline, but it is just like, I think the baseline of the best offenses in the league, it's Denver, it's them. It's like when those offenses are humming and things are moving, 
it, there's there's the no, no the ball moves and it makes Steve like it makes defense which is already very hard even harder. Secondly, that organization legit just does have a culture. It just does, and like we can make fun of it, all that stuff, but like it does, and it breeds it's it brings something out of guys. So look, I. I think there is risk, and then you bring up this list, and it's Josh Richardson is maybe the best example of this. He has been around in the league now for a while. He has given teams, I think, effective minutes at times, but he has he ever come close to being the little playmaking 3-and-D wing guy we saw in Miami? It has never come close to that. He has kind of bounced around since then. So, like, I, I would like if I'm a team this summer, like, pick a team that needs a wing and could use their MLE on, like, Struess. You're really allowed to talk about, about the Cavs it. now. No, I'm not. I don't want to hit. I don't want to hit with the belt. You could like if I'm Memphis, okay. Yeah. And you're like, okay, we could use this kind of player maybe, or you, like just need like another three and D wing. He doesn't hurt. We have the money to do it. The MLE. Do we offer the full MLE for this guy to go get him? Like I think there's. You'd have to have some concern that it's just like it is not necessary. You're not. It's going to be hard for you to get those guys exactly. Kind of humming and exactly at the same level i'd be i would be really worried that like you're going to get them and they're just not going to be that guy when they when you get them in your in your building yeah and the thing about this list is part of why i wanted to go through it is to be like is there a rhyme or reason like is it okay the bigs when they leave miami the bigs always fall off or the okay it's you know combo guards because like you were just talking about we know the heat don't really have like a traditional quote unquote point guard. That's not really how their offense runs. So is it those guys? It's like, no, it's pretty much every type of player has come and gone and, and oftentimes been the best version of themselves with the Miami heat, whether they came later in their career or they started there and then left somewhere left to go somewhere else afterward. And I would add one more part to what you were saying about how these guys are able to succeed. And I think that's, as we've watched the Heat the past two seasons exceed expectations, I think it or really, you know, three out of the past four years, it's been increasingly clear. It's the fact that they have that amazing ball movement and flow to their offense, but they also aren't afraid to and are empowered to just compete, you know, just go get a bucket and feel comfortable with the ball in their hands. Like, it's crazy to watch the fact that Max Struess and Duncan Robinson can attack a closeout and get to the basket against a team we thought of as the best defense in the entire NBA as recently as last June in the Boston Celtics. But they're mm-hmm. doing it, and I think they're doing it because it's understood that they can, and it's understood that if the opportunity is there for them on the court in the in the course of action, go ahead. You know, And I think that there is a lot to be said for, like the Suns are a great example of another team that, run a very complicated, not complicated, but um, consistent and and flow-based pick-and-roll attack, you know? And yet, a lot of their role players become specialists. They're sort of reduced to the the most basic version of themselves and effectively, you know, unimportant in a lot of these playoff series. And that's a lot of why they just had their head coach get fired. It's the fact that Spo can get both things out of these guys, where they can be specialists, but they also are trusted to just go make a play. You're a basketball player, figure it out. And they do that too. And like, I think that's what you kind of lose sometimes where it's like Josh Richardson just suddenly is when he just is a spot up shooter, or he's just supposed to be running your offense as almost like a point guard. It's like, well, that's not the guy we wanted. And so I I, honestly, I think Struess might be the better of the two. I think Vincent's the one I would be worried about. Like I would maybe just say, all right, you win Miami. You found him, you developed him. Keep it going because I, like, yeah. I would be very nervous that that guy's going to come and it's going to be like, oh, yeah, he's six feet tall and 
not a great passer and he's like you know on the he's the ninth man on our team all of a sudden just give me a team where should Struce go if he leaves where should he go I want him to be on a team I I agree with you I, I like the idea of him on a team that that does run a little bit more offense um I could I could see the the Toronto Raptors jumped out to me for some reason because I just perpetually want them to get more shooting. Uh, the Dallas Mavericks, I think, would be fun. Oh man, him! And he, I I feel like some of his talents are wasted with Luca. To be honest, Probably. like as much as like he, like I, which is which is a bummer to me. Um, Atlanta, I went to I, Quinn Snyder's they offense. Some, they they just have some. Up. Are they sending a, a bunch of their wings elsewhere? Is, is I guess the question there. Um, yeah, I thought about Portland maybe. And I, just sure. because, like, if they load up, I could see it. Going from a Chauncey, uh, an Eric Spolster offense to a Chauncey Billups offense sounds a little bit uh, depressing, but... Uh, the other... Well, Portland, Portland the, the easiest layup in the world would have for Portland to, like, change head coaches this offseason and, like, get, like, Monty Williams or something. And it's just like, what if we run the... Like, I, I don't understand what's going on. At, Brendan, at some point in the summer when it's dead, we should do, like, a... I'm throwing this out there. People could producers, listeners tell if this is something you'd listen to. Chauncey Billups is like basketball life. If we just go through like the, like the, the timeline of his basketball life from player to like what he has become is like one of the, it is wild. If you just think about like how his career started, then he ends up in with the Pistons and like they win and like, he's part of those great teams. And then it's like still bouncing around. And then he's like doing like television, I think. Right. And then, like, he almost becomes president of basketball operations of the Cleveland Cavaliers. And, like, the last year of LeBron's time there, which is, like, okay. Just because Dan Gilbert's, like, a, was a fan. Sure. And he he then now he's the head coach of the Portland Trailblazers. Yeah, Detroit was his fifth team as a player. Yeah. The one we think yeah. of him from was his fifth team and it, he was only 26 years old by the time yeah. he got there. So yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one. Um, unfortunately, I don't know if, I don't know if coaching is his calling at this particular point in time. I'm willing to believe uh, that somebody who is in their late thirties or early forties can probably evolve, but not right now. <laughs> Look, uh, all I'm saying Portland layup, layup for you there. And you, 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 you messed up. Oh, he's also not in his early forties. The man is 46. All respect to him, but I was, uh, I was a little, a little low there. Yeah. Look, I believe in like continual, uh, you know, getting people getting better and improving yourself. But boy, tough. Um, all right, are we are we done with Heat? Yeah, Celtics you, have a, you actually had a great segue there, so I'll let you do it. I mean, this is a former teammate of a man that we're going to talk about setting, uh, hanging it up. Speak, yeah. Speaking of former, uh, botch that. Speaking of former Toronto Blazers team, let's talk about Carmelo Anthony retiring. Yeah, Brendan, look. I, Carmelo to me is someone that is like part of that era of bat where I like really got into basketball and grew up with it. He will always be someone that I like associate with a certain part of my life because it, I go back to to he comes in the same year as LeBron, as Wade, as Bosch. As a kid from Northeast Ohio, guess what? I did a lot of it around 2003 and the years before when LeBron's kick and ass in high school. I'm watching a ton of basketball. I'm reading Slam. I'm reading SI and SI Kids. And like, I'm learning about all these guys. And I remember like learning about Carmelo. And I remember watching him at Syracuse. 
And like for a brief time in my life, I was like, I love Syracuse basketball. Now Jim Behan, like just bastardizing the sport in my, you know, it's really not been not and always going great. His career is like over. He, let him let him live. Yeah, that's true. He, you know, good for him, made a lot of money, all that stuff. He was awesome to watch at Syracuse, and I love watching him in the league. Like I like I understand the discourse with him was almost like the from like leaving the Knicks to how, where it ends with the Lakers is sort of, was sort of like presaging like the Russ thing where it was just like getting really awkward and uncomfortable because this guy was like aging in front of us and he wasn't a superstar anymore and it was just like unclear how all of this was going to work but that yeah. guy in his prime was one of the absolute best scorers we have ever seen in the league uh, uh, just a bucket in the purest sense of the word he was a joy to watch he was a joy to to just watch play one of the, the smoothest scorers we have seen of the last two decades and he look didn't win a title all that stuff but uh, an unimpeachable resume amazing with usa basketball just amazing with usa basketball uh, amazing basketball life from carmelo anthony i i am sad to, i'm glad he's retiring i'm i you know it's obviously he didn't play this year kind of seemed like maybe he would have one more year it was cool to see him get to play with lebron cool to see him get that little run in portland but what a life, what a career, what a basketball life, what a career. And just his peaks were just unbelievable. All well said. Uh, I was never a huge Carmelo guy, but I, I think that. I hope that the the memory of him, the legacy of him is told through the players because he's always been one of those guys. I mean, another place that he's similar to Russ, where even if he his efficiency or defense or playmaking were maybe debated among you know, blog boys or, you know, Reddit prowlers. It was very much like anyone in the league was going to defend Carmelo Anthony to the bitter end. And uh, I feel like that should matter. Like I'm going to defer to the people who competed against him first and foremost. And he had some amazing years. I mean, 08, 09, he actually kind of goes down a little bit in, in usage and scoring from what he had been. And that was the best year the Nuggets had when he was when he was in Denver and then obviously goes to New York and gives that franchise some of the best moments that it had. So he feels like very much a time and place player where if some other things click, if Amare's knees aren't just chalk by the time he gets to New York, if the Nuggets have a few different things go right, maybe they build a little younger instead of, you know, some of the guys that they were able to get in there, then I think we could be talking about Melo being on a, a, a finals team or something like that. But I don't think you can take anything away from his career just because of that. I mean, tons of accomplishments, even if he never kind of got that that one big thing that everybody tries to chase, which is obviously a championship. Yeah, I, w- I would recommend going to read the Chris Herring piece where he got to talk to Melo and ride with him out to his childhood neighborhood out in, in Red Hook, Brooklyn. Um, a really great piece from Chris Herring. And just hearing Carmelo talk like that and be kind of open about that. It's one of my favorite things, Brennan. We don't get it as much anymore when an athlete kind of really does kind of let you in a little bit like that. And I, I, I mean, found he's this totally right to be proud of yeah, what his life has been. I mean, that's a dude who any number of other things could have taken him off course and he became a winner and a champion and a whole bunch of walks of life. And like, he strikes me as somebody whose story is like way, way far from being over. Like he's just going to show up at NBA games for the next 30 years, looking like the coolest dude in the room. And then you'll just have some major accomplishment. He just finished off the court. 
you know, and just kind of, it'll just be like a Chiron on the bottom where it's like, just donated 10 million to this thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. My, my one hope with him in retirement and look, it's not my place to tell like Nuggets fans how to feel. I would like to see like a world where like he could get like some peace. Like he, he is a part of Nuggets history. He's going to, he wears the same damn numbers, Nikola Jokic. That number will be retired one day for Nicole Noak. She will not be retired for Carmelo, and I understand that. And they do but a that slash. Guy, they should just the put. Banner. Here's the thing. This is one of my longest takes. Is that like jersey retirements are actually dumb. And oh, we you should just we've like, had this on the show. You've, I know, you've I know. Just, but, yeah, you know, new listeners, but just like hang up both the jerseys. It's fine. Like just hang them both up. It's cool. And it, it like on the. It is just crazy to say. Like, it is crazy in some ways to say it's just like. The, the Nuggets make the finally make the finals the same day he retires. And it's also like this, like around the, to the same day, I believe LeBron is, it is the same day LeBron is talking about his basketball mortality. And like, this is not something that like I've seen kind of discussed with LeBron, but this is one of LeBron's closest friends in the game. Someone he's known for a long time. Yeah. I'm viewing the LeBron stuff. Brendan is very much like a, I'm viewing it as like probably someone of a leverage play. I'm not going to say like it's not, but also just like someone that it feels to me like someone actually grappling with his basketball mortality. If I want to read this in a human way, I I wonder, I, you know, I don't know if anyone asked him about this. I didn't see that. But like to me, like an obvious question for him would have been like, OK, what was your reaction to Carmelo retiring to that? Like, is that were you thinking about that? Now that you're the last one left from your draft class, this historic draft class of Carmelo and LeBron and Wade and Bosch. Like, this is one of the all-time draft classes, particularly at the top of the draft. And it's also one of your best friends. And now it's now you're the last one standing. And that, that to me is just, an, it's like another wrinkle to this whole thing. I, I hope Carmelo also just like, like, I think you're right. He's one of those guys that I hope we just see like around, like, you know, Liberty Games, for if he wants to be in New York or to, if he's in Vegas, like just at Summer League, like just like yeah. just like whatever, wherever Carmelo wants to show up for basketball, I'm down to just see him there and and hanging out and being mellow. I'm cool with that. Also, last thing I will say about this before we move on to talk about LeBron, actually, the best thing that I saw about Carmelo in a funny way was someone made a video compilation. I think it was like a Knicks like blog or something like the Strickland. Um, someone made a, a compilation of him yelling fuck out of here and grabbing rebounds like when he'd like go and get the rebounds like fuck out of here and like grab the rebounds I love that like a like there was enough clips to for like a minute 30 video of that and the amazing. Carmelo was the best of the uh, the the rim mic catching <laughs> screaming just of any kind whether it was and one whether it was shit talking whether it was that with the rebounds whatever the case was like you almost felt like it was a director's commentary of the game that Carmelo Anthony was providing that the rim mic would catch. And then, of course, there's the muting of the entire broadcast crowd noise that has to happen when when the the rim mic picks up something it shouldn't. So, uh, yeah, salute to him. He he uh, I'm he he you could probably say he came around a little too late and his game would have been even more dominant and appreciated in the nineties. But I kind of like that. He was just this bygone dude that kind of lasted way longer than you would have thought. And finally did evolve. Um, it'll be a, it'll be a, I think a career that I hope gets more appreciated over time just because of the impact that it had culturally and, and the cities it happened in and all the rest of that stuff. Maybe Nicola winning a, a title in, in Denver will actually bring some more respect around to Carmelo's time there, but we'll see. Um, 
Yeah, let's go to LeBron. Just I have a question to the for you to, to start things off. Okay, let's go. Because people will know everything. We don't need to rehash. He said he might retire, yeah. and he might just be saying that for, for song and dance, or he might actually be thinking it. You mentioned it there a little bit with the mortality, and I think that's totally reasonable. He's also come out and said, or it's leaked out since, that he may need to get surgery on the foot, even though he was supposed which, which, to not have to. Well, which we already knew. I think we already – I always kind of assumed he was going to have that surgery at some point. Yeah. Yeah, the like, just James defeat did. might have just been like a really good masseuse or something. I think it was Dennis. I mean, it, it might have just been Dennis Schroeder in a doctor's coat. Can we just? I just want to say Dennis Schroeder somehow. Maybe it's just because he's like talking to German media mm-hmm. a lot. Is like the LeBron like tea spiller? Yeah, like pretty reliably, and it's very funny that Den- that's like a Dennis Schroeder thing. Anyway, it's also funny that Schroeder like is only good when he plays next to legends. He goes to Boston and it's like a joke. You like you fumbled the bag. You were apparently offered this big contract. You didn't take it. And then we think his career is over. Now I'm reading Jake Fisher articles on Yahoo where it's like he may take 15 million a year. I don't I don't know if that'll actually happen, but the fact that it's even out there is insane. But my question for you on LeBron, more likely to you, Chris Manning, who has covered this man and uh, appreciates him very thoroughly, more likely that he retires or starts next season on a different team. I think retires. Really? I just can't imagine him outside of LA right now. He has so much going on there. Bronny's going to be at USC. I, I don't think either of those things is happening. I think he'll be playing for the Los Angeles Lakers. That's what I think too. Night. Like that's number one, yeah. right? Is, is yeah. he stays with the Lakers. But I think it's an interesting question as far as how we perceive his sort of the way he moves this offseason, which we're going to chart a timeline of here in a minute. But the Lakers have a lot of things. It sounds like they're going to probably re-sign Rui Hachimura and Austin Reeves if they can, if another better opportunity does not present itself to use those guys in sign-in trades or something. And I think that's the right thing to do. They both not only were pretty solid on the team in the regular season, but proved themselves as playoff performers, and they're both in their early 20s. So you'd be kind of dumb to not keep those guys in the building. But I'm not sure if, I mean, if this version of the Lakers wasn't enough, unless you're thinking Rui and Reeves take a huge step forward, I think it's reasonable for him and anyone else in that building to feel like this isn't enough. You know, they kind of took advantage of some turmoil with the Memphis Grizzlies and a very down year for the Warriors. And then they ran up against a juggernaut that they had real no real chance against so the idea that they're going to come out somehow be better coming into next season feels pretty crazy so i think it's kind of okay for them to go after a third star i mean i don't in for the first time in a long time i actually don't think lebron trying to exercise some sort of influence or pressure here is a bad idea i don't know if the lakers front office needs the pressure it might just be like uh very extra but they do need to kind of try to shake it up if he has something left in the tank here i am fascinated to see like what they approach this with because i think they've got like in hearing like some of the comments from their ex interviews and seeing guys being like hey like you know we're going to be in a spot where we want to training camp and get a full summer and lebron gets healthy and get and get the run running that we, we we can get further I don't know. I, I, I agree with like some of that would be helpful. I also just don't know if some of that is really realistic, right? I don't know if some of that is tenable as far as 
like really elevating them to what Denver is or what some of these other teams in the West might be. I think that's like a really hard path to watch. And we just don't know what LeBron is going to look like. And we don't like if he has surgery, does he come back at Christmas? Does he come back in early 2024? Do, you know, like, do we hit a point where he doesn't play back to back the whole regular year and you end up as the sixth seed or the seventh seed anyway? Right. Like, where does this kind of go? And I'm really curious to see Brennan just like how aggressive they will be to get like a third star, quote unquote. I don't think they have the ammo to do the Trey stuff. Although Trey is a clutch client. So like, okay, okay. The Kyrie thing that LeBron has been kind of flirting with them for a while. Can I give you the name that I actually, if they could figure out a way to do this, that I think it would actually be a better fit than either Trey or Kyrie? Give it to me. Fred Van Vliet. Clutch also, right? Yes. Yeah. But rugged, a little more rugged defensively. Play makes. Mm-hmm. I just think I would rather have Fred than either of those guys to play off LeBron in AD. I think. I think any any of the above, and I would lean against Kyrie, although I understand he's probably the, the front runner just because of the LeBron relationship, but it's sort of funny that in a way, the idea of what LeBron has been trying to do with these rosters since he got to the Lakers all the way back dating to the first season in 2018 when they had you know freaking Lance Stevenson and Michael Beasley and everybody is it's correct and you can see that he sort of foretold it and 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 foresaw it that he was going to need to have the ball in his hands less. I think the problem is he doesn't trust other players with the ball in their hands unless they really 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 earn it and they haven't been able to bring in an equal for him or even somebody close. So I get the idea of one of a, a higher caliber ball handler and a third sort of quote unquote star. I think Van Vliet's good enough. But I think it should definitely be a priority that somebody can dribble, somebody can run pick and roll with Anthony Davis, and that LeBron, if he misses time, if he takes a step back, if he's just trying to do a little bit less on the court, maybe if he wants to to settle into more of a defensive impact role, if he still can do that, or different ways to impact the game that aren't like running a million pick and rolls, that would be the smart thing to do. Can Reeves do that? That's a question that I have, like, because you're talking about, you know, they seem to be optimistic if they roll into training camp with a little more time and chemistry to gel together. There's an uh-huh. argument you could make that Reeves is even better as a as a primary ball handler next year. What do you think? I mean, I think he's clearly up for some of it. I think it's I think it's clear you also just this all goes back to LeBron and to some degree. It's like, what does he want to do in the regular season? The rust stuff clearly felt if we go back to that. Felt like I want to not have to do as much in the regular season. Yeah. Right. Even Rondo. Even Rondo. I mean, I'm just saying, like, they've been doing this, right? Mm hmm. So, what does he want to do it, in the regular season? I mean, what do you. So, so like, this is the thing. It's like, does the. And just what did you do schematically? And, like, what is AD going to give you? Like, I think, like, if AD, AD offensively leaves me a little bit wanting. He just does. I Like, the defensive stuff, he's been awesome. He was, we've sung the praises of him on this show. But, like, he has not been the offensive kind of guy to take the reins from LeBron in that way since they've been a duo together. He just hasn't. And maybe he's not that guy. I don't think it means he's like a fraud or a failure or anything like that. I think that's, if you view it that way, you're just wrong. And I think being just blasphemous and, attention seeking for no reason right but i i i i'm not gonna go full zach low screaming at espn but like that i that his sentiment was was pretty correct i think i think the biggest thing 
for me, Brennan, is just like, can they get to place where they can really manage LeBron and get him healthy and give him like another run? And what does that look like? What do they change schematically? And what can AD give you to elevate? And frankly, is he going to be healthy? I just think he is who he is, though. I mean, like, he's 30. Yeah. Yeah. So he I've been thinking a lot about him recently, right? Like he probably could do a little more on a consistent basis because part of being hurt is then you're spending two weeks at a time to get back to full strength. So even if you're only miss a few games at a time, you're always just losing continuity. So like you could imagine a slightly better regular season, but a different player, probably not. Well, and it's like I've been thinking about him as like, you know, like the Anthony or excuse me, the Anthony Davis stuff and mold of like what Evan Mobley's career path kind of is. And like, what does that mean for a big who's like clearly such a plus on defense? But how do you get the offensive game to a point where like even if it's harder for you because you're a big, you can still provide and, and add all this stuff. I think that's like a really interesting. He's like an interesting template for like the next generation of, of young bigs. And like as a pair to point to like. What Jaron Jackson Jr. you know is in Memphis as well. Like any kind of guy like that, I think he's like an interesting comparison point to. Not even like a Jokic or an Embiid kind of thing. It's more of like that next generation of guys. He's like a couple years older than even it's like a Bam. Sure, even Bam. I mean, yeah, it's interesting with AD. His career has been so fascinating. It feels like because there was always that thing, right? Like they were showing pictures when he was doing that run at Kentucky where he was like the lanky, like puppy dog looking kid because he used to be a point guard. Then he grew a million, uh, you know eight inches or whatever his freshman year of high school, whatever the legend is. And then he came into the league and he was actually better offensively than defensively. It sort of took time for the defense to come around. And now you're really seeing that, but it almost feels like he's just a little too old where if he had come around the time of uh, the era of basketball, when triple J or Mobley were, then he would have just been taking more threes and more jumpers overall over the whole course of his life. Whereas it just feels like the, the, the ceiling on Davis is just he never could quite be a consistent jump shooter. And I think it's probably unreasonable to expect that at this point. Um, so you don't think they have any chance on Trey Young? You think that's just like we should we no, sound like I, idiots I, to talk about it? Why, I, I just, I, what, I, is I the pa- what is the pack? What is the package? The package is the last unprotected first that they have, salaries. And you hope that the Hawks value him that low. But I mean, I think the problem is there's obviously going to be a market for Trey Young and their leverage is kind of cooked now that they've put it out there that they want the guy. So even in the best version of owning the trade negotiations, which is what happened with Anthony Davis, they still had to pony up for a godfather offer trade of all trades. That was still a bunch of amazing players and a bunch of picks. So yeah, there's probably not really a route that doesn't include multiple teams and clutch just like mafiaing their way into this. Trey is such a fascinating part of this summer. Yeah. But I think that type of player is where they should go. So whether it's Van Vliet or Kyrie, or they somehow luck their way into, how would you, how would you rank? How would you rank those three? Uh, If you're going to say probably, I mean, I think I would put them in the order everyone would just from like a talent standpoint. I mean, I think you would probably go Trey, Kyrie, Van Vliet. I mean, Trey just because he's younger. But again, I don't think it's super realistic. So it's probably down to Kyrie because that is gettable. Or you start to look for other options like a Van Vliet or Chris Paul. They could potentially figure something out for. But 
this team with Van Vliet or Chris Paul, does that does that feel like a conference finalist next year? No. Yeah, but so it's like, very interesting. But, but it's I don't like think he's it, wrong it's, to it's, contemplate it's, a lot of this. But is it possible? Yes. Um, what's interesting, Brennan, and this is the last thing I think we should say about this with LeBron is other points in his career, he might have gone, he might have given himself the option to go somewhere else now. Like, I could, it, this was a couple of years ago. You could have seen a world where, like, he keeps the summer open and he kind of keeps his eye open and flirts with Cleveland a little bit and is like, hey, you know what? You have Mobley, you have Donovan Mitchell, you have Garland. I'll cut, you know, one last run back in Cleveland. You know, finish my career where it began. Yeah, you need you need like three bells on that. That was just egregious. <laughs> Jake, Jake, and with him. but it's like that's the thing he would have done. He left Cleveland the first time because it's like okay, like setting up to actually go win a title with with Wade and Bosch in Miami. That was like yeah. orchestrated. He leaves Miami when that has run its course, and it's like. They have the number one pick. I can get Kevin Love there and play with Kyrie. Great. Let's go do it. You're going to fire Mike Brown again to come. Let me come in here. Right. Like it's orchestrated. That takes a toll on these organizations. The Lakers are like, because I think where he is in his life and what like his everything else going on, he is very just kind of like he is actually kind of like stuck there in a really interesting way that has not happened before. Yeah. Yeah, and you you I, I was talking about this on Locked On Suns, and like you don't want to, um, because it's May twenty fifth, and there's nothing else going on. Yes, I talked about this on a Suns podcast, but um, he do, he's not going to be the type of player that's going to be Carl Malone on the Lakers, right? Like this is no. not a guy who's going to go sign with the Bucks on the minimum after this that, current contract well, is and, over and, because he just wants like, a fifth so bad. Like he's well, he's and, not going to get embarrassed. He's not going to be MJ on the Wizards. Like so he kind of has <laughs> to figure out the next couple of years. Well, like that's the thing with like the Bronny component of this, which is like it's very hard to unpack. And he's even kind of changed his tone on that as well. Just kind of changing the wording on it. I think like it. I, it's why I never could imagine if like the Thunder like took Bronny or like pick a random team like the Charlotte Hornets I could never Le- imagine LeBron just like going there just for but that But the thing is whoever picks Bronny even that's going to be choreographed two months ahead of time yeah or whatever it is so I, it's like Charlotte's not going to take I, Bronny just to try to pull a power move on LeBron James like I got I got a, I got a betting him, email about this I, I got a I, I got well. I I deleted the email instantly because I delete a lot of those emails instantly. But it was like the bad teams. Then it was like a certain team that I can't say because I don't want to get with the battle again. Had the fourth best odds. There you go. And that was like uh, the only bet. That was the only not like bad team. It was like three bad teams, and it was yeah. like suckers. I mean, someone Ronnie was plus eleven hundred. So I mean, you know. Yeah, and uh, yeah, there's. <laughs> I'll tell there's some things I will tell you when we're done, Brendan, that my conspiracy, if I had a conspiracy board, that might be my conspiracy that like that's that's going to be a thing that happens. Well, I have a feeling we're going to not be done talking about this, so we'll have time. Can I tell you my two favorite instances of LeBron exerting pressure on his teams? Because I made this whole list and, and we can't just. Skip yeah, it. sure. OK, yeah, I, your your list was great. And I'm I'm sorry that I've I've dragged us in this direction. With no, this. it's fine. It, a lot of them people already already remember or, or still remember. Um, okay. So I found out in doing all this research, this is, I, I just don't even think I knew this happened because I was not old enough apparently to, to, to be in it that he took a meeting with Pat Riley and Michael Jordan in November, 2009 in New York city. One, one week when they were all three there, those three people just 
had dinner and the Cavs knew about it like six months before free agency. And that didn't raise like the red flag of all red flags. We all still thought he was going to go to the Knicks. Just shame on everybody who was around and paying attention and I, and not 12 years old like I was. Cause that's, that's about as obvious as it could possibly be. And then in the summer of 2014, as he was about to leave Miami posting uh, a hangout with, with Maverick Carter and Johnny Manziel in Cleveland with a bunch of people wearing Browns jerseys is just hilarious. Just like complete trolling. Um, Hey, I like this football team again and I'm hanging out with the superstar quarterback. No big deal. Nothing to see here. I'm just totally going to change teams and say, fuck you to Pat Riley. Those, those, those were the highlights. Those were like the most just egregious, ridiculous ones that weren't even basketball Mm. related that are just pure LeBron, like trolling. The number one all time for me with a bullet is the bull series the year where he David Blatt drew up a play for somebody else and he said, no, we're not doing that. I'm taking the shot. And then he hit the game winner. That's number one for me. Yeah, I I wish that David Blatt wasn't the victim of it because a Blatt book about the yeah. LeBron season, My Year in the United States by David Blatt. Uh, <laughs> My just year. Be yeah, a bestseller, but also like kind of a, a tragedy story like shakespearean just he you know, yeah awful. he has uh like some health issues now so i hope he's doing okay um the other one the other the other one what i the other one that i that is both a little bit him and both a little bit like the, the calves was when he came back for jejunus ogowskis his jersey retirement and it was, was just that? like uh, the year before he came back. Okay. And it was just, I, I, you know, it wasn't a meme at the time, but like I would, uh, Wendy meme. You, you can know? imagine Wendy was doing it somewhere in like his living room. In yeah, I'm sure w- Wendy might've been in the building there. It's like, a, it's, it's a whole chapter in the book him and Mick Mendeman wrote about the title. Um, it's like a literally a whole chapter of that book. The man is a, the man is a, a, a genius troll and uh, a genius basketball player I, we we will we will never brendan i think in our lifetime see someone like like i don't know if we're ever going to see someone do this the quite the same way again because he also just like does like he does stuff through the media in a way that like guys just now like get to their have their agents league at the shams or woj lebron just still at times now does the old school thing if he calls out like even just with his retirement stuff he talked to mcmenamin he talked to haynes like in the arena like yeah like all like away from everybody else he used to do this in cleveland all the time where he would like varden lloyd and mcmenamin he'd call him over and just like talk a bunch of shit and like say what he wanted to say and it got it out through those three specific guys he's like Guys don't do that like that anymore. Like Paul George has a podcast where he's calling Jalen Green like the king of Houston. No, they like, the what? Suns when 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 Phoenix reporters saw Kevin Durant in some sort of brace or something after he's sprained his ankle during warmups in the the game that was supposed to be his home debut, they installed a curtain between where the media press conference room is and the where where we can see the entrance to the locker room because they were so petrified that we heaven forbid might see an injury or something like that. So. Yeah, the culture of the league is very much geared toward protecting these these guys. And I think there actually is something to be lost for it because you don't get to control your narrative. You don't get to control all this stuff. Yeah, you can go do your podcast, but then in most cases, people kind of laugh at you. So it's it's different. I'm not saying that everybody owes everything to the media, but LeBron did it and it seemed to work. So uh, can we fix the Wizards? Yeah, speaking. So here's I've been I've had this segue now in my head for like 10 minutes and I'd, and I'd like to get it. 
I'm sorry to the Washington Wizards that once again, LeBron James just like pushed you back further than you would have liked to have been. But like, that's life for you, Washington. I'm sorry. LeBron James like ate out, like sucked out your air. Salute to uh, Deshaun Stevenson. Yeah. Real shots to Jay. Like Jay-Z and Soldier Boy was a time, man. What a time that was. Do you have any Michael Winger thoughts considering he hails from your neck of the woods once upon a time? So I, I, this to me feels like the right kind of structural move for the Wizards. The framing of it, uh, I don't know if you read the, the David Aldridge yeah. column today, but that felt to me, kind of, that kind of validated my initial thoughts. That they're allowing him to have legitimate autonomy and that Ted Leonsis is not going to settle for mediocrity and internal hires and status quo quite as much as he seemed to want to. Yeah. This is the kind of thing you need to do if you're really going to reshape what this team is. And I'm fascinated to see what he does, what he'll be allowed to do. I'm curious to see how much Leonsis like really allows them to take a step back. Taking a step back for them is not necessarily the easiest thing in the world considering some of the financial commitments, particularly one massive financial commitment they have that that person has a no trade clause. That's like a very big obstacle in all of this. (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing that he has a no trade clause. It's incredible. But I I think what I think for them, this feels like the right kind of hire to actually like build this out in the real way. And um, there's some reporting like he so he will not be like the he will be like the decision maker. Um, he was the GM and with the Clippers, he's getting elevated. They have not, they will hire a GM. GM um, and I don't, I, there's some candidates out there and stuff, but I, they haven't hired anybody yet. I think like, the, you know, there's some interesting, uh, Will Dawkins, uh, is yeah, the, the name. The Thunder. Uh, yeah. It's interesting yeah, Mike, to me because Raphael Stone in Houston is kind of similar where he came up and he was like the, the team legal counsel. And that's what. Michael Winger has done for, for ver- at various stops in his career. And then he's gotten more into the analytics side as well. So he's sort of like the salary cap and analytics point of view. So you'd think he'd probably hire somebody more basketball savvy, somebody who's come up through scouting or, you know, video to be the GM, which I think is what Will Dawkins did in Oklahoma city. But, uh, it's just fascinating the different paths that people take. You know, you can be a scout, you can be the cap guy, you can be a former player, you can be a coach, you can be whatever. And people succeed from all of them. So it's cool to see the the league just sort of diversify in, in that in that particular type of way. Not that Raphael Stone is maybe the best guy to have to be walking in the you know pathway of because I don't know if his team building job in Houston has been the best, but um, I'm interested to see. Do you want to, I have how many, how many steps do I have here? Six things that they need to consider this off season. We can give our thoughts on each one. Yes. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, let's All do right. it. Chris Stapps Porzingis. He has a player option for, I believe $36 million. And you would think would like a long-term contract, even if it's around Mm -hmm. that same amount, it's probably looking for four or five years or whatever, probably four. Do you try to re-sign him if he indeed does opt out? 
I think I would, if I were them, I think actually tanking would, would make a ton of sense. Yeah. So no, no on Porzingis. Right. Right. No on Kuzma. Yeah. Also has a player option. Yeah. Let Kuzma go fine player, but I, I don't, I don't want to be paying Kyle Kuzma, like just a boatload of money. If you're doing this, a, a market. I mean, if the trade deadline, he is the exact he he is the exact kind of player a lot of teams need. And he's the exact type of player that I think the Wizards would have overpaid and kept for no real reason for a long time now, right? And so mm-hmm. same Jan Mahinmi and like all these guys that they've just had and and have collected dust on their books. Um so if they let both of those guys go, they also have up to 36 million dollars in cap space. Th- those two and then you have like will barton renounce him kendrick nunn i think he's like non non-guaranteed or partially guaranteed get rid of him all that type of stuff and then you're left with uh 35.8 million dollars in cap space uh-huh. i would personally feel like if you don't sign those guys and you have that space i think you just use that space to absorb bad contracts via trade personally yep and get picks be the be the 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 vacuum to suck up all the the bad stuff that other teams Tobias Harris sure Daryl Morey you want to get another star for Joel Embiid like give us a pick and we'll take Toby and he can come play in Washington this year I think that's always the smartest way for bad teams to use cap space Yeah, I and I I'm curious and I and I think then it's okay, do you what of your young guys do you actually like? You know, like do you believe like I mean I, I don't think they have like their next great star on their roster already. They, I don't think that's the case. But do you flip some of the guys you have that you've had that have that have been fine and okay? Like what do you think of Johnny Davis? Um and then there's obviously the Bradley Beal question. The, Bra- the Bradley Beal yeah. thing is kind of the center of this, even though Bradley Beal has lots of power to dictate this. And, like, I don't know how many teams are out there saying, yeah, I'd like to pay Bradley Beal the full value of his contract. So Bradley Beal, obviously, is where you have to start with this. I mean, not start, but Bradley Beal is where the biggest decision will be coming for the Washington Wizards and where they need to nail. I don't know what to make of him as a player. He's 29, going on 30. There was a period after John Wall got hurt slash eventually left where you would have felt like Beal was one of the best scorers in the entire league and somebody who absolutely could be an offensive engine for you. I mean, this is a guy who averaged 31 points in per game in back-to-back seasons during the pandemic shooting, you know, 46 to 50% from the field, 35% from three, got to the line. Then all of a sudden the past two years, he's just been injured and I don't want to say fallen off a cliff, but between his efficiency dipping a bit and then his overall production dipping. I don't think you would look at him as somebody who's a number one option on a a great team and his defense is nowhere to be seen at this point in time. So if I'm another team around the league for a guy who's making $47 million this upcoming season you have to be pretty desperate to appease another superstar or find a co-pilot for your young up-and-coming star with not a lot of other salaries on your books in order to feel like Beal is worth what is now a pretty considerable risk considering injuries, fall-off, 
and lack of two-way play. Mm-hmm. Do you have somewhere you think he should go? That's the question. No, that's the thing. But like, can you get someone desperate enough to want it? Like, would Philly get desperate enough and do this? That's the team to me. Mm-hmm. That's the only one that really comes to mind. Maybe the Lakers. Maybe. I but don't like even that, think they have that's enough the salary. The Lakers, because he makes so much, you have to, you just have to stack up so much stuff on top of your each other to to get up to his number. <sighs> I. But even like Philly, it's like, how good? Like, would you feel like? I just don't think Beal's the same guy anymore. I think the case would be. Well, we've seen him be an amazing scorer. We've seen him be a better, more impactful defender at the very least, even if you never, you know, an elite defender. We've seen him be a guy who can take more threes and be more of a secondary scorer. I mean, 2016-17, he shot 48% from the field, 40% from three. He took seven threes a game that season and had 23 points per game, same as he did this year, but on a way more efficient shot diet. So we've seen him be different things. You could imagine a world where next to a Joel Embiid type of player, he can slide back into more of a complimentary role, commit himself to defense a little bit and make an impact. But it's a big if, and you're paying him like he's a lot better than that. You're paying him like he's a, a number one player and he's, he's probably not. I have one for you and I don't know how I feel about it. Cause it might be a little duplicative on their roster, but the Grizzlies came to mind. Mm. Is he too similar to Desmond Bain? Yeah. I think you're trading Bain. Yeah, I don't know if you hear giant. Yeah, I don't know if I would do that though. You know, another one I thought of is it that much of an upward move to trade CJ McCollum for him for the cost? Yeah, and like there's a leadership question I would have there. Like McCollum seems like. I, I just listened to McCollum on Russillo and the way he talks about like the Zion stuff. It's like I think I feel like that's kind of important. Yeah, I think Philly is the answer here. If we're gonna, this is gonna happen. So it's Philly, or he stays in Washington. Or yeah, or does Miami just be like F it Heat culture? Here's the thing. Our, right, our here's Donovan just the backup plan. Yeah, <sighs> older Donovan. Um, trading for Beal will be the most expensive change of scenery bet in NBA history. That's what this is, and that's the it's it's crazy. It just is. Um, you know, here's one other team that just because there's a St. Louis connection, if their summer got weird, wonder if Boston would just be like, hey. Yeah. I just think Brown, I would probably just rather have Brown. Yeah, but I'm saying if Brown is like, you know, I, I'd really like to leave. Yeah. What about, okay, last one. Milwaukee. Chris Middleton <sighs> for Bradley Beal. You get a little younger. You have a little more juice on the perimeter, a little more creativity and, and kind of quickness at your wing spot versus Middleton's old man game. And you at least have sort of a, a younger co-pilot for Giannis's late 20s, early 30s. I like that, actually. I don't hate it. It's still like a lot of money for like what that team is, but they're, they're over a barrel anyway. They're kind of like they have to do something like that, I think, if they're going to keep just going forward with this. Yeah, you could do Middleton and Grayson Allen, and then I don't know what my Milwaukee's pick situation is. But who's the third team that's like getting mid? Who's like the third team that's getting Middleton? 
Well, I th- I don't know how uh, the specifics of it, but I believe if you did it like on draft night, you might be able to have Middleton just opt in um, and play out the year last year of his contract in Washington. Uh, I don't know. Um, maybe he, or maybe you do it and then he can opt out. I don't know how that works, but where Middleton goes is a much bigger question. I just think Beal is... I think you would want him with that type of a situation. Embiid's similar, right? Mm-hmm. You don't need him to to be a good defender because the defense is sorted out elsewhere. But he provides a nice balance offensively to the superstar you already have. So, yeah, those are the those are probably the types of teams. Um, Can I ask? They you, have here's to the word this summer. Yeah, so this is where I was going, wanted to go with you. Where, where I wanted to end this. Can the Wizards actually reset unless they just move on from Beal? Like, can they actually do the kind of reset that they probably need to do if Beal is just like around still? I think they can only because I think some of their reset is going to come by way of the players that are already on the roster. This isn't, okay. you know, a team with no young talent where you're starting from absolute scratch. Like, I think you still want to see what. Denny Avdia is what Corey Kispert maybe can be. Even Daniel Gafford, who's not super young, but you want to see maybe what he can be. The guy who they draft this year as well. So like, I think a more gradual thing is possible here, but I don't think you should have Beal on, on your team at the start of next season. But you just don't want to jump the gun if there's no market. Yeah. I just, I, if there is ever a team that can maybe just like get some lottery luck, like being the eighth pick for them, like it would, this would be so much easier if they just had like the third pick and could take like Scooter Brandon Miller. Like where it's like, we look at like the Hornets and are like, what do they do? Cause they have Lamelo. How do you perceive that? What is Portland going to do? Are they going to trade it? Um, whatever. Are they going to like the Mikhail, like, are they going to try to get Mikhail Bridges or something like that? If the Wizards had the third pick, they could just be like, you know what? We'll just take a, we'll just take, we're just going to take somebody and we're going to figure it out. And like, that would just be like the cleanest thing that they could use. And they just haven't had that lottery luck. They haven't yeah. been bad enough. I, and like, I wonder what beat, what goes through Beal's head at this current moment. I'm really curious to see like when winger does like do his availability, like how he will like talk about Beal. It will just be an interesting kind of thing. Um, and an interesting kind of, Reality, but that is a team that absolutely should just break it. I'm a little skeptical that you can fully do it with Beal, but it. I think just because I don't think you'd be get the haul back that would really help kickstart things if you traded him. Like I think because of his contract, you're not getting the kind of haul for him that would really like push things forward. And for better or worse, you can be bad with him. Yeah. And- I don't mean that like super disrespectfully, but like he's been on really awful teams the past couple of years already. Like, is he really going to lift you so high that you're out of like really good lottery range and like you can hold him out of games and do this and that and maybe consider a deal at the deadline? But it's not like him being on your team means you're going to be 500. So like you can start to tear it apart and not have good pieces around him. And he's like the one great player you have and you can still be on your way to losing and getting a good pick. Yeah, two years removed from his last All-Star appearance. Played 50 games last year, 40 the year before, 60 the year before that, 57 the year before that. The 60 was in a 72-game season, so he was pretty healthy that's, that year. But the other ones... True. It's three out of three, yeah. Three, three well, out of four. The, actually, the one before that was also the 
the, the bubble year, but they went to the bubble. So I think that was like 73 games. Still not yeah. great. No. Considering he's not old. And he hasn't even had like a major injury. This isn't a guy he, where it's like, oh, the knee again. It's just like stuff here and there all the time. He, he like me, will be 30 years old in June. Yeah. It's not the point where you're like starting to think, is, is this guy going to need to be on a load management situation? Kevin Durant or something. He's 29. He yeah. should be at his peak still. And it does not seem like he's at his peak. Or like, at, or yeah, it doesn't feel like he's at his peak anymore. But some of that could be circumstance. Some of that might just be like, what is the what are the what have the wizards been you know like the motivation factor for him might be kind of low but he got the money and he very much has said publicly like this is where i was going to get the most money which is good for him salute you asked salute. what right, through his brain i was like i know it's going through his bank account and it's uh, a lot of millions of dollars that's facts all right let's 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 end there heat celtics is on the Wizards get a reset. Carmelo has retired. And LeBron's being LeBron. That is it for the Just Basketball Show for May 26. I'm Chris Manning. That man over there is Brendan Clean. Thanks to Jake Stevenson and Dylan Heiser for producing Back At You on Monday. I, I have a feeling we're going to be talking about Cavs, or excuse me, Celtics Heat in detail after game six. One way or the other, we're going to be, that's going to be the focus of our Monday show. Tune in, subscribe, and enjoy the hoops. 